My friends, and welcome to this another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris here with our week three game by game recap roundup edition. So glad you're joining us. There was so much chaos heading into week three. I know all of you could not catch it, even with Red Zone, even with watching games. So we are here to fill in the details, speaking with the blurbers who cover the games for us over at Roto World. Before we move on, I do want to tell you that because of other responsibilities and obligations. We will not be covering the Tampa Bay and Denver game or the Vegas and New England Patriots game. If you're looking forward to that, I am apologize. I'd rather tell you that now rather than not have it for you later on, but those blurbs are up on the site. Just a reminder that we have other shows Tuesday morning, the John Daigle 15 to 20 minute waiver pod that just allows you to know exactly who you need to pick up on that day. We'll be back on Wednesday evening with Denny and Pat. And then Thursday night is our game-by-game preview show. And also we got Roto World Live, noon Eastern on Sundays as well. And quickly, shout out to Z-Ball. Bring back Zedekai for leaving this five-star reviews up for the podcast. I've wasted enough time. Let's get into it in this wild and crazy week three. And a fantastic, some might call it a classic game. The Seattle Seahawks improved the 3-0, beating the Dallas Cowboys 38 to 31. That drops the Cowboys to one and two on the season. Oh, Hayden Winks. I love this stat line from Russell Wilson. 27 of 40, 315, five touchdowns. Put it in a little package for us, if you will, the day that Russell Wilson had. Yeah, it was a lot of early down passing for the Seattle Seahawks. And I think this is definitely here to stay. We've seen it for three straight weeks now. And there's just so many, so many playmakers. DK Metcalf. I mean, this really should have been a six touchdown game. DK Met, DK Metcalf uh, stopped running at the five yard line, and the ball got punched out out for a touchback. Um, otherwise, DK Metcalf would have even had a bigger game. Tyler Lockett, nine catches, three touchdowns. There, there were so many plays where they were just wide open. Russell Wilson seems like he has more time uh, in the pocket than usual as well, which is allowing them to take shots deep downfield and but they're also just moving the ball it just seems like they're never going to be punting this season and russell wilson's definitely the favorite for mvp right now yeah dk had eight targets four receptions 110 yards and a score tyler lockett have a day sir 13 targets nine receptions 100 yards and three touchdowns is greg olson now relevant hayden i mean is it just the game script six targets five receptions 61 yards and some clutch receptions that i saw He's still a tight end too, certainly, but I think that he's definitely in the mix for the tight end two streaming radar, especially in good matchups. And the Seahawks have, I think, uh, two good matchups over the next two weeks. He's he's a distant a distant third option, but that's still good enough. I mean, if you're going to be picking a touchdown dependent tight end, at least make it be attached to Russell Wilson. So he's probably the 18th, 19th best tight end right now. Chris Carson owned the backfield work other than Russell Wilson's six carries. Carson had 14 for 64 i did see at the end he left with like a right knee injury or a knee injury overall that was twisted by tristan hill on one of the final carries of the game any news on that they're calling it a knee sprain i think he's possibly getting an mri i'm guessing he's getting an mri um he was able to walk off but he was kind of limping over the medical tent it was a really dirty play by tristan hill um he should get suspended for it honestly but uh if chris carson's out 
Carlos Hyde would go, I mean, kind of basically immediately into like an RB2 range. Um, I'm sure John Daigle is going to be writing him up in his waiver wire column this week. Let's look at the Cowboys. I mean, you just ran into a buzzsaw. It seemed like they played well other than, a, you know, a couple of bad decisions by Dak Prescott. Let's start with him. 37 of 57. I mean, we had one quarterback throw for 40 attempts, one for 57 attempts. Again, Prescott, 472 yards, three touchdowns, and two interceptions. Add another 26 yards on the ground. Uh, tell us about Dak's day. Career high, 472 passing yards, and that's on a career high, 57 attempts. Basically, the Cowboys aren't afraid to pass the ball on early downs as well. It, this was definitely a game script situation. The Seahawks were up by a couple touchdowns for most of the game, and they were kind of just trying to uh, make a comeback late. But just like Russell Wilson, Dak Prescott's got all the weapons in the world right now. The offensive line is not nearly as good, but they're going to get Tyron Smith back next week most likely. Michael Gallup was probably the storyline for, for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, nine targets. We were seeing him work downfield, and that's kind of it, the role that he had for most of the game here as well. He scored a, a touchdown deep downfield. So I think that he and CeeDee Lamb are both going to be wide receiver threes. Uh, I think CeeDee Lamb's floor might be a little higher, like on a week-to-week basis, but I think Michael Gallup is certainly going to be in the picture just because he's going to have so many spiked weeks in this offense. Let's talk about this receiver group. You did just a little bit, but it's so funny. I mean, we hang on to these conclusions that we make in the first two weeks that, you know, this passing offense, it's just going to be Amari Cooper and CD lamb. And here we get to week three and Michael Gallup, as you mentioned, nine targets, six receptions, 138 yards in a score. And then Cedric Wilson, I believe the third year player out of Boise state, seven targets, five receptions, 107 yards and two touchdowns. And Hayden, it's not like these were like broken plays. Cedric Wilson was creating plays in his own. Yeah, he looked really explosive. His touchdowns were not uh, short, gimme touchdowns. He had to earn those touchdowns with some yards after the catch. This was definitely a game scripts uh, type of situation here where they're just trailing, and they went to four wide receiver sets. That's why he was on the field. Amari Cooper is also a little bit banged up uh, here and there during the game. It didn't really matter for his stat line. He had caught nine nine passes on a team-high 12 targets. So I- I'm treating this as Amari Cooper is a top-10 fantasy receiver and then I think CeeDee Lamb's probably going to have the higher floor between him and Gallup. I'd probably rather have Michael Gallup for the spiked weeks, but you just want pieces of his offense. And that, that still includes Dalton Schultz kind of in this tight end two mix, kind of with Greg Olson, where they're probably not going to get there every week just based on targets, but they're going to score some touchdowns just because they're in uh, top five passing offenses. Yeah, Amari had 86 yards. CeeDee Lamb had 65 yards. I mean, Amari had nine receptions on 12 targets. That's pretty amazing. Zeke was the one who got bottled up. I mean, 58 total yards and a score. Look, the Cowboys are one and two right now, but Hayden, they've lost two good teams. They lost the Rams in week one, Seattle in week three. They get two in a row that I think that they obviously will be favored in, in the Browns and Giants. And with how the NFC East is looking right now, I would continue to give the Cowboys the best chance of winning that division. And speaking of the NFC East, let's go to your other game, Hayden. The New York Giants got absolutely demolished. <laughs> 36 to 9 against a Nick Mullins led San Francisco 49ers team. No George Kittle, no Raheem Mostert yet. Kyle Shanahan again with Nick Mullins as his quarterback. 
can put 36 points up on the board. Someone's excited outside the window revving up their sports car. I mean, that's exactly what you want to put out there in Charlotte, North Carolina at 10.09 p.m. on a Sunday night. What a, what a great dude that guy is. Anyways, let's talk about this 49ers team. How did Nick Mullins look? 343 on 25 completions and a score. Very composed. He he knows this system well. He's been in it for a while. Kyle Shanahan certainly really likes Nick Mullins. I don't think that he has many like tr- like raw traits, the tools you're looking for in like a, a, a NFL starting quarterback. But he knows the offense and, and Kyle Shanahan just keeps giving him open look after open look. So I think that they'll be effective. I think they'll be basically just as good as they would be with Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, just because Nick Mullins just is so uh, poised back there. And he got a bunch of receivers involved. We saw Brandon Ayuk have his best game, uh, 70 yards receiving. He also had a rushing touchdown. They gave him three carries. So there's a lot more manufactured touches for Brandon Ayuk without Debo Samuel, without George Kittle. Um there was a couple of injuries here that we got to go over. Jordan Reed left. Uh, hmm. He looks like that's probably going to be a multi-week injury just based off how his knee and ankle were um, looking when he was walking over to the locker room. And then uh, Jarek McKinnon hurt his ribs really late in the game. That's why you see Jeff Wilson with some bigger numbers and a score late. Um, he said he's fine there, but we're going to have to track that as well. Of course, we're already dealing with Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman. So, uh Michael Hasty would be like the deep sleeper to know if, if the rib injury is serious. I think a big question here is to try to figure out what is like translatable and projectable after this week too. Like, do you think Brandon Ayuk, who had eight targets, five receptions, 70 yards in the air, then on the ground, three carries, 31 yards and a touchdown. Do you think that kind of production and stat line is something he can be featured with each and every week moving forward? He's probably like a wide receiver four, maybe a wide receiver five. Uh, once George Kittle gets back, that's the big key is once Kittle gets back, his target share is going to go down. But the 49ers offense still looks functional, which is insane given all of the injuries. Not just a a hat tip to Kyle Shanahan here. So I think that Brandon Ayuk, he he looks all right. He doesn't look like a, the craziest playmaker in the world right now, but he looks good. And this is an offense, of course, that we want to have some pieces to. So while the running game's kind of up in the air with all the injuries, I think that Brandon Ayuk over the next couple weeks, at least until Debo Samuel is, is on the sideline, that he can probably be a flex play. Also want to ask about Jarek McKinnon and Jeff Wilson. Jarek McKinnon had 14 carries, 38 yards, and a score. Also caught three for 39. Meanwhile, Jeff Wilson had 15 yards on the ground on 12 carries, quite a lot. Probably some garbage time there. Uh, and a score of his own, but also at 54 yards and receiving touchdown Certainly reads like Jerick McKinnon was the lead back, but Jeff Wilson got his work in the areas we expected him to as well. Yeah, exactly. Jerick McKinnon looks uh, healthy when he before his rib injury. He looks explosive. Um, he, he was able to find the end zone. And I, I don't think that they wanted to give him more carries than what he got here with 14, about 17 to 18 total touches here. I think that's probably the max for somebody like Jerick McKinnon, but that is more than enough in this offense to pay off as an RB2, RB3, um, while Raheem Mostert's sideline. And I think that even when Raheem Mostert get, comes back to the lineup, McKinnon's going to have some type of role for uh, PPR formats. I guess we got to talk about the Giants. Um, I mean, this is their first game of the season, start to finish, without Saquon Barkley. We know every game from now on this season is going to be without Saquon Barkley. They also were without Sterling Shepard. That means Daniel Jones was 17 of 32, 179, Took two sacks, 
through one interception, added 49 rushing yards, but this certainly seemed like a day to forget for the Giants and a day to forget for Daniel Jones on his own. Yep, they got nothing out of the running game. Uh, Devonta Freeman, Wayne Gallman, and Deion Lewis were completely ineffective. I don't know if there's ever going to be a time where you're going to feel too comfortable starting any of them. Maybe Devonta Freeman in a couple of weeks once he knows the offense, but for right now, you can't start any of them. And then I think the offense right now, it's Darius Slayton. When he has good matchups, he can pay off. And then Evan Ingram's just kind of like in this like low-end tight end one category now instead of like this mid-range category that we're – we were getting just because I'm so nervous about this offense in general. The, the team looks really bad. The offensive line looks really bad. And Daniel Jones is still so mistake prone. He had a pitch to Evan Ingram. They're like four yards away from each other and almost threw it over Evan Ingram's head. And then he had a bad interception. It's just he has to clean this up. I, I tweeted out his uh, turnover stats through 16 games, and it is like truly unbelievable. I think it was like 17 picks and like, 23 fumbles or something crazy like that. In one of the games of Sunday, there were many of them. The Buffalo Bills improved to 3-0, and beating the Los Angeles Rams 35-32. to That's the Rams' first loss of this year. Patrick Darty assigned this game to himself. Pat, before we dive into individuals, I just ask, want to ask you like a big-picture question about this game because I'm looking at the scoreline. 21-3 to at halftime. The Bills were ahead of the Rams. First, how did it happen? And then second, we've seen Sean McVay just be unbelievable in his early game game plans in the first two weeks of the season. That just didn't happen today? Well, first of all, it was actually it became 28-3 to three early in the wow. second half. So this was a 25-point deficit the Rams briefly overcame and frankly should have won. I mean, the, the ticky-tack defensive pass interference penalty, they extended the game for the Bills. I mean – was just not a good call. I mean, it was debatable, so it could have been called, but the Bills were lucky it got called. So, I mean, the Bills escaped this, like, the thinnest of margins. You know, the Rams, it didn't seem like Sean McVay was calling a bad game in the first half necessarily. They just they weren't finishing drives. Uh, Sam Sloman, I believe is his name, the kicker, uh, missed a field goal. They weren't having trouble getting across midfield, but, yeah, they were kind of bogging down, like, inside the 40, inside the 20, and just wasn't a, a super crisp half for the Rams, whereas – the Bills, I mean, we got MVP mode from Josh Allen again, and this, they're setting up so much more easy passes for him this season. Uh, the running, it wasn't quite uh, as voluminous as it was in weeks one and two, but they called him, I believe, at one point three straight runs inside wow. the five or inside the ten, and he cashed in the third for a touchdown. You know, we just got like full-on onslaught, like weapons mode from Josh Allen uh, changed in the second half. I don't know if you want to get into that with like the big picture view or if we should just transition to talking about. No, Josh let's Allen. do that. Let's do that. Josh Allen, 24, 33, 311 yards, four touchdowns, one interception also took four sacks. Um, he did have a fumble lost as well. Yeah. We talked about it at the beginning. You mentioned it, that the first half was the good Josh Allen that we've seen through the first two weeks as well. And I do want to reiterate, like, the good Josh Allen so far has been very good, but also you see like these, you know, off plays, one off ones that like show you, oh, yeah, that's still there. And if, you know, a couple inches or feet or one decision or bounce one way or the other, you know, then we're back to not square one, but back to the Josh Allen we all know and love. So what happened? What was the transition from that first half to the second half here? 
So yeah, in the weeks one and two, one and two it was only glimpses. We had never had any sustained stretches of like galaxy brain Josh Allen until today. And you know, it's a little hard to say like why this started. I mean, part of it might have been kind of like an underplayed storyline from the game. John Brown didn't play at all in the second half with a calf mm. injury. And Gabriel Davis, you know, the impressive rookie, made a few nice plays. So it's not like their offense. John Brown being gone shouldn't have sent the offense off the rails, but. I mean, whatever it was, we got like, and you know, so I have a reputation as a Josh Allen hater, uh, understandably so. But just so people know, this was not just me. Joe Biscaglia, uh, the very esteemed Bills beat writer, tweeted what I was thinking and basically said, this is Josh Allen from the second half of the wild card loss uh, to the Texans last year. And I mean, we were getting fumbles. We were getting taking mammoth sacks, you know, where he should just be getting rid of the ball. So part of it was Aaron Donald. Just went nuts. I mean, I saw that Aaron Donald just started caving the interior of the Bills' offensive line. I mean, Aaron Donald's part of this was just Aaron Donald like taking over a game. But yeah, we got very poor decision. Josh Allen was lucky to only escape with two turnovers. Uh, the, the interception was he had a few circus plays where he just made deep throws that could have easily been picked. Very much flirting with losing another fumble. Uh, he took hit two penalties, two personal fouls. He got a personal foul for complaining to the refs. And then a personal foul, this is how strong Josh Allen, he was refusing to get sacked when then he grabbed the face mask and was just like jerking the guy's face mask. And so Josh Allen got two personal fouls. I mean, mostly just the, the, the number one thing when Josh Allen was going bad the past two years is basically not getting rid of the ball. And, you know, he would keep mm-hmm. going backwards and making an already bad play, like say a four or five yard sack into like a catastrophic play and like a 10 or 11 yard sack. And that happened several times. And, it's hard to say exactly what it was, but two factors I could pinpoint were John Brown maybe disrupting the timing of the Bills' offense and Aaron Donald just, just having enough, basically. Uh, he had just had enough after Josh, uh, Josh Allen after the first half. But, yeah, I mean, this was full off the rails, Josh Allen. And uh, I didn't know if we'd see it this year, but, uh, yeah, we have now seen five pretty pristine halves and then whatever this was. Well, the rest of the Bills, Devin Singletary, 13 carries, 71 yards, Cole Beasley. Seven catches, excuse me, seven targets, six receptions, 100 yards. Gabriel Davis, you mentioned the rookie, caught all four of his targets for 81. Even Devin Singletary, again, without Zach Moss, had four catches for 50 yards. That's really important to know moving forward if Zach Moss continues to miss time with that toe injury. And then Stefan Diggs, every time I looked up, it looked like he was making a play. Then the stat sheet, just six targets, four receptions, 49 yards, and a score. Anything to say about any of those players, Pat, before we move on? I mean, Steph Diggs was locked in a pitched battle with Jalen Ramsey, and his touchdown was on Jalen Ramsey, where he just, like, fried Jalen Ramsey in the end zone. And, I mean, should have had a second touchdown. It was a one-yard wide receiver screen. Then he got ruled down at the one. Then he scored another touchdown the next play, but they got called back due to a Bills penalty. You know, that was just uh, – not that Jalen Ramsey, like, erased him, because, like you said, he got the four catches and he got the touchdown, but that was just him, yeah, doing, doing battle with Jalen Ramsey, who was – and maybe come down off of like his truly elite Jaguars lockdown season, but it's still a formidable opponent. And Devin Singletary, yeah, I mean, uh, g- good game. I mean, by far highest uh, yards from scrimmage, obviously, which is what we had to see without Zach Moss. It would have been very, like, very concerning if that had not happened. Uh, he did seed a goal line carry to TJ Yeldon, uh, but I think that was just randomness, uh, just getting a bit of a breather. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it was just a – the game we needed to see basically from Devin Singletary without Zach Moss. Uh, it's a consistent, not any huge plays, but consistently 
getting nice gains, extending drives. Yeah, and three touchdowns combined with Tyler Croft and Lee Smith, which helps absolutely no one. Okay, on the Rams side, Jared Goff, 23 of 32, 321, two touchdowns, one interception. Daryl Henderson saw the absolute bulk of this backfield work, Pat. 20 carries, 114 yards, one score, a long run of 14 yards. Also saw three targets in the passing game. Um, Cooper Cup, big game. 10 targets, nine receptions, 107 yards, and a score. What'd you see from this Rams offense? It like we talked about, you know, 21 to three at halftime got even worse than that. But was Sean McVay dialed in? Was Jared Goff not dialed in? Was the offensive line just getting beaten up by this good Bills defense? What was it? It was on just a half of like near misses. There was no nothing like glaring mistakes. They just were drives were bogging down like i'd say inside the 40 not even necessarily inside the 20 they were just bogging down they weren't getting a race there wasn't like three and outs but just yeah it was an inefficient start uh, against a great defense except for daryl henderson who got the start came out out touched malcolm brown 21 to 7 you know, daryl henderson probably wasn't any a player of like his skill set probably didn't really have uh, questions about how he could go side to side but this was the second straight week in a row where i thought daryl henderson looked very dangerous downhill like continually right into the teeth of the Bills defense for like six, seven yard gains. He only had a long, I think of 14 yards, but yeah, I mean, he turned 20 carries into like 114 yards. So just consistently getting like five, six, seven yards. And I mean, Cam Akers is a wild card, but I mean, this back-to-back weeks now, the 120 yards from scrimmage from Daryl Henderson, like the RB2 prophecy might be coming true here. Hmm. I mean, Malcolm Brown is the definition of just a guy. I mean, he's a valuable NFL player at, you know, he, Sean McVay clearly trusts him like any situation, but yeah, he's not an above average. He's just a, he's in there to just get the little things right. Whereas Daryl Henderson, this is back to back weeks where he looks like by far the most talented and potential RB2 in this backfield. Robert Woods keeps doing it 30 rushing yards to go along with 74 receiving yards in a score. I mentioned Cooper Cup stat line. And the third leading receiver was not Tyler Higby, who just saw two targets for 40 yards. It was Josh Reynolds, who I saw like had the stretch Armstrong catch, which is pretty miraculous. Five targets, four receptions, 60 yards. Pat, let's move on. Let's move on to your next game. Another wild one. You had two wild contests. The Arizona Cardinals lose for the first time this season, 26 to 23 to the Detroit Lions, pick up their first win of the season. Uh, Let's start with the losing team though. I hate doing that, but I want to do that here because through two weeks, Kyler Murray was showing some true special ness. Let's put it that way. In this game though, his stat line is like truly up and down 23 of 35, 270, two touchdowns in the air, but three awful, awful picks. But then on the ground, we saw like a juke on Jeffrey Kuda in the open field and then him trotting into the end zone what was Kyler Murray seeing? What was he doing today, Pat, that was so different from the first two weeks? Yeah, first off, the rushing touchdowns. Like the, the juke was like the classic where you could see the soul leaving the defender's body. Like it was that bad. And to me, that's still the main takeaway from this game. So, you know, not a great passing performance from Kyler Murray. They said the picks were not good decisions. There weren't really alibis on this one. One was a bad throw. They got clanged up into the air for an interception. One was where Jeffrey Okuda, you know, very maligned through the f- first two weeks of the season, like perfectly undercut a route, just throws he should not have made. I mean, I guess they're just sophomore quarterback throws, but this is now he scored a rushing touchdown in all three games. He has four total rushing touchdowns. And, you know, this is what we kind of wanted more of from Kyler Murray last year, kind of you know, like QB one proofing himself. And 
he had, I think, 560-whatever rushing yards last year, but it was just never quite enough to make him like a fail-safe QB1. Uh, but that is what we have seen through three games because he's not hesit- being hesitant as a runner. I mean, like he's taking off like on unscripted runs. He's executing designed runs. I mean, he's executing design runs near the goal line. And, I mean, him doing that, that like – locks in that QB one floor for days like today where he just wasn't great as a passer where Christian Kirk was absent, Larry Fitzgerald, uh, you know, further like disappearing into old age, basically. And again, the Lions defense, a very beleaguered Lions defense was playing like their season was on the line today. We did see some improvement from the Lions defense, but that was the takeaway for me, not the bad throws necessarily, but that he can now survive these kind of days because he's using his legs enough and, you know, still two passing touchdowns. So yeah. The, the maturation we want to see from a fantasy QB1. Kidding Drake put forward a very standard 18 carry 73 yard performance. DeAndre Hopkins like keeps racking up massive receiving totals, 10 receptions on 12 targets, 137 yards. Pat, let's close on the Cardinals with Andy Isabella, though. This is a name that a lot of the football universe got excited about. Being with Cliff Kingsbury during his rookie year last year, and absolutely nothing came from it. Well, you mentioned Christian Kirk being absent. You mentioned Larry Fitzgerald disappearing, and I guess that is the benefit here of Andy Isabella, who went four for four for forty-seven yards. But the two scores were important. They were, and they were impressive. The first was a thirteen-yarder where he ran a perfect corner route. He beat Daryl Roberts badly. The second was only a four-yarder, but he shed a tackle at the goal line and disappointing to still see only the four targets and you know last year we had the the blow up game the touchdown against the 49ers that did not lead to more involvement for Andy Isabella but I mean this is something they just they have to have because Larry Fitzgerald is just no longer Larry Fitzgerald and Christian Kirk just one of the biggest wild cards in, in the NFL at this point and you know DeAndre Hopkins it's not a secret this the ball is going to go in there so much at a certain point you know teams are going to ma- make them beat them some other way and Andy Isabella is hopefully going to be an avenue to that. Uh, yeah, an impressive game. And, you know, the Cardinals, I, I hate we, 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 the players we like, you know, we always cling to any little thing. This is, at the end of the day, it's a four-catch, 47-yard game for Andy Isabella. But the, the Cardinals' schedule is, like, laughably easy over the next Ooh. four or five games. Like, really, like, as soft as a five-game slate as you'll ever see. And, yeah, you're coming up in the bye week season. You need help a receiver. You could do a lot worse for a flyer than Andy Isabella. Yeah, the Cardinals next, to your point, the Panthers and the Jets in the next two weeks. I would say that those are some defenses we'd like to attack. Okay, shifting on over to the Lions. They get their first win. Matthew Stafford, 22 of 31, 270, two touchdowns. And yes, he went back to his big target. That is Kenny Galladay, seven targets, six receptions, 57 yards, and a score. I'm assuming Galladay being back in this lineup just made a massive difference. It did, it, but still, it was you know a frustratingly established game plan. Uh, we got 22 carries for Adrian Peterson. You hate to see it. You do. You actually do hate <laughs> to see it. An under 75 yard. And I'll say. I mean, I will still put respect on Adrian Peterson's name for sure. when he when he gets ahead of steam. He's still like a frightening runner, but he's yeah. just not as quick to the edge anymore. And he could not get the edge in Arizona. And these were runs that they were not productive for the Lions' offense. But even Kenny Galladay coming back. Opens the whole thing up. Obviously, you have to send so much attention Kenny Galladay's way. You know, the other guys didn't really cash it in. It was Marvin Jones's worst game of the season. But TJ Hawkinson did, who was strangely ignored in the first half in favor of Jesse James, was finding big seams in, like, the Cardinals' flow chart tight end defense after the break. And probably Kenny Galladay being back will certainly help. 
TJ Hawkinson and Marvin Hall got free for what appeared to be a 54 yard touchdown, but then he had the double whammy of being ruled down at the one. And then the, uh, the second whammy of the play being called back altogether uh, by lions holding. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was by far Matthew Stafford's first turnover free performance of the year uh, over eight yards per attempt by far his best effort of the season. And Kenny Galladay coming back. Yeah. Changes the whole feel and outlook for not just the offense, but the whole lions team. I see Adrian Pearson's name. You mentioned him. Karen Johnson barely did anything, you know, four total touches for 30 yards. I see DeAndre Swift's name once, just one reception on two targets, 19 yards. And I think I read that DeAndre Swift, the rookie second round pick, only played five snaps today. He what did. gives? Uh, via next gen stats. Yeah. I mean, just that was a. Uh... Yeah, this is an old school. I mean, that drop in week one, that's that's, that's clearly stuck in the Lions coaching staff's craw, which, you know, I guess fair. Uh, there, are, That was not a normal drop, obviously. The Lions would be two and one uh, without that drop. But, yeah, I mean, it's some, you got to let bygones be bygones here. The Lions cannot let this turn into like a David Wilson situation because they cannot keep going with these. Adrian, Adrian Peterson is a very valuable role player depth piece. You can kind of put in, you know, any moment he won't be phased. He can always bust a big run. I mean, the Lions need a more explosive element in the running game, and they need to get over this DeAndre Swift drop from Week One because for him to only be playing five snaps, you know, it's just the Lions uh, defeating themselves. The Pittsburgh Steelers improved to three and zero, beating the Houston Texans, who dropped to zero and three, twenty-eight to twenty-one. John Daigle had this game for us. Daigle, let's talk about this Pittsburgh Steelers offense because it seems like a well-oiled machine through three games. Ben Roethlisberger, 23 of 36. The efficiency might not quite be there. 237, two scores. I mean, even James Conner got 109 yards and a touchdown. But the receiving game was very, very spread out. Eric Ebron, Juju, James Conner, James Washington, Vance McDonald, Chase Claypool, all over 20 yards in this game. How did it look? The issue for this offense in this game was actually Deontay Johnson leaving. He was involved early with two deep downfield targets and an end-around carry, but that carry actually led to him having a concussion and being removed from this game. So something to monitor moving forward. James Washington replaced him directly, but overall what happened is that Rossberger continued spreading the ball out even getting, as you said, Claypool involved for a big 24-yard catch, and he was knocked out of bounds near the pylon. It seems like all he does is make big plays. He cannot catch anything under 10 yards. He only catches everything over 20. (laughs) Um, But this offense, though, rolled behind James Conner, who was, again, terrific on the ground. And now we have these back-to-back games for Conner where he is clearly the workhorse. And interesting enough, uh, Anthony McFarlane was active for his first NFL game and was used as well as Jalen Samuels over Benny Snell, who fumbled late last week, if you recall. So Mm. both of those backs came in before Benny Snell, and then Snell was used at the goal line later on in the second half. But this is clearly James Conner's backfield. You still can't buy him low. You should have bought low prior to last week. Uh, And then if he stays healthy, he's a fringe RB1 moving forward. I know James Conner's stat line was good. And the feature back work is good. Does it even matter if he like doesn't look good or explosive or, you know, have a lot of speed when he runs? Because in this offense, 18 carries is going to get you production. I hear you with his performance last week against the Broncos. Yeah. He still looked like he was covering. This week, though, I swear he looked much better. Uh, his stop and start 
it's not explosive. It never was though. Like his, his burst was never what made him uh, a super athlete, but the, but the speed was back for this game. I will say. What if Deontay Johnson is out? I think that's the biggest question, right? Like what if he does miss a week or more or whatever, because Eric Ebron had tied for the most targets with James Washington. Each had seven. Ebron turned that into five receptions, 52 and a score. Juju, just five targets, four receptions, 43 yards, and a score. I mean, Deontay was the one who was making plays on the outside. Is there anyone that you can, like, shove your chips into and be like, yeah, this is the piece that I now want in this Pittsburgh Steelers offense that, again, has looked very good through three games? I would imagine everyone will frolic to James Washington, who, remember, led the team with 400 more air yards than Deontay Johnson just last year. Uh, However, you would want to bid a lower amount, of course, but you would still want to bid on Chase Claypool on waiver wires just in case he wins the role since he continues to do nothing but make plays on the two to four targets and minimal snaps he plays weekly. And we'll cover the rest of that on the Tuesday morning waiver podcast with he himself, John Daigle. So everyone be on the look for that one as well. Let's look at the Texans side of this, you know, through two weeks, other than you know, the first couple series, this offense has been really broken. And I would have pointed to, you know, not enough backfield volume in terms of the passing game and not enough getting Brandall Cobb involved. That seemed to change this week. And, you know, Deshaun had a very tough outing last week. And I thought he might have another tough one this week. But Daigle, I know the stat line isn't like overly kind. 19 of 27, 264, two touchdowns, an interception, and five sacks. But when I got to see this game, I saw Deshaun Watson putting this offense on his back. And it almost led to a victory. I'm guessing that means you tuned in for the first half, right? Yes. (laughs) Because they went three and out in three of their final four possessions in the second half. So that tells you... That tells you everything you need to know about this game as the Steelers just cruised to an easy win in the second half. So the the Pittsburgh actually came into this one uh, blitzing at a league-high rate, but they didn't do that in this game. They only rushed forward the entire time, and they decided to play Deshaun Watson differently, and he actually made them pay. And I would say they played good defense. Like It wasn't the best, but they were still covering well. It's the fact that Watson was – finding himself enough time to make hard throws, which he can do because he's a magician. So even Randall Cobb's big touchdown was a beautiful route that Watson followed him along, running out to the left flats, and then just threw the ball on the run uh, across away from Mike Hilton, and Cobb just beat him deep. Uh, Cobb also made a living in this game in particular, settling in the middle of the field and just beating, beating zone defenses. So that's how he found himself open. Uh, the one that stands out, of course, is Will Fuller, who yeah. returned to full health, looks great. The thing is now, I've had to write up the Texans twice for us already in the first uh, three weeks. And I recall, although I did not watch, I did not write them up, I recall watching them in week one. And so now I have watched all three of the Texans game, two in particular closely, and Will Fuller isn't getting deep shots. And that's yeah. what stands out to me. I still think that of course is in his bag because he's that type of player. But right now they basically lost DeAndre Hopkins and are using Fuller as Hopkins. They used him last year for a shallower a dot, um, which is good because he's making, he's having success in the intermediate and shallow routes. But we of course need to see more deep balls in his game uh, in their offense. 
Just some of the stat lines. Randall Cobb had 95 yards and a score on four catches. Will Fuller had 54 yards and a score on four catches. And this Texans team just cannot run the football, it seems like, lately. 13 carries for David Johnson for just 23 yards. One score he did get in the end zone, but a long run of five yards. And as we always talk about, positive game script and offensive line play is a major factor in running the football. And while the Texans scored all 21 of their points in the first half, it certainly didn't end in rushing success here, Daigle. Without Duke Johnson the past two weeks, David Johnson has handled every single running back touch except one for this team. CJ Procise, I believe, had a catch today. The good news is they play the 0-3 Vikings next week, so we can expect a shootout. And David Johnson, remember, he did look good in week one. And uh, he's had two incredibly tough matchups the past two weeks against the Ravens and Steelers. So I will, th- I think he's actually a bounce back candidate. We can start hmm. with confidence for week four. Speaking of 0-3, let's turn to the New York Jets, who became 0-3 on Sunday, oh. losing, I mean, an absolute beatdown oh. to the Indianapolis Colts, 36-7. to 36-7. Let's talk about the Jets and get this over with, Daigle. Yeah. Yeah. Sam Darnold atrocious, right? Like it's not just, I know Makai Becton left. I know they didn't have Jamison Crowder. I know you can keep going down Le'Veon Bell, not on the field, but what I saw, and again, didn't turn into the full game like you did, but there were quick throws, no pressure throws that Sam Darnold still overthrew and threw directly into the Colts secondary. And when other pieces of the Jets offense went right, he still went wrong. And that is a major issue that it didn't get fixed after week one, week two. And here we are in week three. And almost certainly this is the end of the road for someone on the Jets. His one spectacular play was the touchdown to Braxton Berrios, who was the team's number one wideout in this game because both Jameson Crowder and Brashad Perryman were injured. And that play did involve Darnold scrambling Uh, making magic happen to the right, finding Berrios in the back of the end zone. The thing is, what had already happened by that time was a pick six on the very first possession to open the game. Uh, And then, of course, he followed up that touchdown with an interception inside the seven-yard line and then a second pick six for his third interception of the day in the second half as the Colts' defense absolutely steamrolled them. The Jets, I know they're injured, but it doesn't matter. They're lost. Uh, we are all on Adam Gase watch for Thursday night because if they go 0-4 with a long week, he very well could be out the door. I mean, it was so bad that Kalen Balaj was their second leading receiver with 44 yards. I mean, how much worse and did he get? That's why we are holding Chris Herndon and Jameson Crowder because if Gase is gone, we believe in these players again. But at this time, their talents are not enough to overcome what is happening on that offense. They are all an absolute disaster. All right, let's look at a positive. Phillip Rivers, 17 of 21, 217, one score. Obviously, this is one of those game scripts that he didn't need to throw the football a lot. But Jonathan Taylor, I mean, it was so drastically different in performance and talent that Jonathan Taylor only got 13 carries, 59 yards, and a score. Um, Talk me through this Colts offense because it seemed like Early on, you know, they got T.Y. Hilton involved. Three receptions, 52 yards. Molly Cock got another touchdown. You know, Paris Campbell's out. So even Zach Pascal got 34 yards on four targets. But it was one of those days that we kind of fear. Like, we want to be on winning teams that are good. But we also don't want to be 
on teams that win by 29 points and really can just walk it in in the entire fourth quarter. This is a team on a mission, and they continue resting starters in the second half when they have big leads. They did so last week, and that's why we were disappointed in T.Y. Hilton's performance in particular, and they did so again as Jonathan Taylor only had one carry in the entire fourth quarter, and they just let Jordan Wilkins lead the way. They're taking these guys just off the field in general and resting them in the fourth quarter, which leads to bad performances for us in fantasy, even though they're clearly dominating the teams they are playing. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is interesting because 14 of the team's 35 backfield touches. And for this game, Naheem Hines was actually, who had 11 touches, he was involved when it was a competitive game script. So I don't know what happened last week. It was still crazy, especially how much money, myself included, we all bid for him on free agency wires. But Naheem Hines was involved again in this game. The biggest takeaway, I think, is still Mo Cox, though, because Jack Doyle was back. And Jack Doyle played 33 snaps to Allie Cox's 34. But Doyle wasn't targeted. Allie Cox was the one who worked as the team's receiving threat. The tight end won, basically, and continued to make plays. Uh, He's had this opportunity before, I know, and he's dealt with so many injuries. Every time in the past we've gotten excited about his opportunity, he's he's gone down injured. But now it's two games where he's been healthy. He's had an opportunity, and he's shined with it because even his big catch and his touchdowns were when the team was still building their lead. He was involved in the offense. So I think moving forward, you have to rank Allie Cox over Jack Doyle. The Carolina Panthers get their first win of the NFL season going to Los Angeles and beating the Chargers 21-16, to both teams. Now one and two, Denny Carter had this game for us. Denny, I see super efficient Teddy Bridgewater, 22 of 28, 235, one touchdown. See Mike Davis having a second eight-catch performance in a row, eight catches, 45 yards, and a score. But it's so odd like seeing this lineup and this stat sheet without Christian McCaffrey because literally no one Mm -hmm. did anything spectacular. No one went over 65 yards on this offense. How'd the Panthers win it? Persistence. You know, well, I mean, that and surprisingly good defense. And I, I don't know, maybe it was just uh, Justin Herbert struggling uh, in his in his second start. Uh, I think the main takeaway from the Panthers offense is that uh, Mike Davis is a must play in PPR formats. Uh, and I, you know, I think mo- most of us consider that to be the, the, you know, the situation coming into this week, but it definitely is after you watch uh, this this matchup against the uh, Chargers, he was targeted nine times. Uh, every no, he led the team in targets. Uh, you know, he like you said, he, did, he didn't do anything spectacular. Um, but you know, you get eight catches in a PPR format, and that's like a cheat code. So, people who picked him up off the waiver wire this week need to find a way, you know, to play him next week and going forward as long as long as McCaffrey is out. Is his usage, and he had 13 carries 46 yards ago with those eight receptions I talked about, is his usage almost identical to what McCaffrey's is in the passing game? In the passing game, yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I, I know McCaffrey didn't see that many targets in week one. Uh, he started to get a little more involved in week two before his injury, uh, his ankle injury. Uh, but yeah, I think that the, the role remains the same with, with Mike Davis coming out of the backfield. I know Curtis Samuel got a little bit of play in the backfield uh, today. I mean, it, it was not nearly what you know Curtis Samuel truthers w- w- would have wanted on, on the on Twitter, and I I, I get it, and and I'm I, I think I'm talking to one here. Yes, you are. Uh, so card carrying member. Yeah, 
and um uh, your your meeting this week will be extra depressing <laughs> uh but yeah i mean D- davis is he's the guy and uh he just gobbles up touches 21 touches today and, and here's the thing if the panthers and i believe they play tampa next week mm-hmm. you might want to check that for me but uh davis remains a great play uh, even if the panthers fall behind and face a lot of negative game script because of that involvement uh, in the passing game to the cardinals next but it was a good effort cardinals <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know in the in the preview podcast episode that we did we put the over under at four and a half backfield touches for curtis samuel he got four so i nailed the under Dagle will have the over. Anyways, let's talk about DJ Moore. It, should there be any concern for people out there that spent, you know, a top 14 wide receiver pick on DJ Moore? Because this week, four targets, two receptions, 65 yards. Again, that 65 yards led all Panthers in receiving totals. But mm-hmm. just four targets isn't exactly what we're hoping for, especially in a win and maybe a game script that this team wants to have when they do win ball games this year. Yeah, I think – you can be a little bit concerned uh, if you have DJ Moore that he is not the number one receiver uh, on the Panthers. And it, it, it is Robbie Anderson. Uh, you know, Anderson out targeted him this week. Uh, you know, and Bridgewater seemed to really look toward Anderson much more than DJ Moore. It, maybe it was because, you know, Moore was being, uh, you know, double teamed. The Chargers seemed to be focused on stopping him. Uh, and then, that left Robbie Anderson with uh, a lot of room to operate. You know, a lot of the times he, he was targeted, there was no one around him. And, and, uh, and, and I think it also has to do with, with cornerbacks just being f- afraid of being burnt by Robbie yeah. Anderson downfield. And so they give him lots of room to work. Uh, I, I don't see DJ Moore creating a ton of space between him and Anderson going forward. Uh, in fact, I, I think it'll be pretty, you know, one, a one B situation. Yeah, it's been that way so far. I know some air yards and so on and so forth might say differently at times, but each and every week it seems like they are kind of equal pieces of the game plan. Robbie Anderson, this one, six targets, five receptions, 55 yards. All right, let's go on over to the Chargers side. You mentioned it. It's Justin Herbert's second start. This time he actually had a week of practice mm-hmm. to get ready for it. 35 of 49. They asked him to throw the football 49 mm-hmm. times in this game. 330 yards, one score, one interception. Overall, how was the rookie's second performance? Yeah, it definitely wasn't the game plan, you know, to throw it uh, almost 50 times. Uh, and I would say that, you know, just watching him, I think the, the takeaway is he's going to be very careful in operating this offense. He's not going to take many downfield shots. When he does, it, it's not bad. You know, I, I, he actually throws a really nice looking deep ball and he hit Mike Williams on a, on a long ball in the first half that was negated by an offensive pass interference call that was just a nonsense call in my humble opinion Hmm. um but uh as someone who rostered mike williams but you know (laughs) um you know he he's great for austin eckler and i I think that that's that's something that you you can't deny and i don't think he's great for joshua kelly i'm not saying that kelly is uh, not going to be playable in fantasy going forward but that formula that the chargers had in week one with tarod taylor at quarterback where it was just run, run, run with Kelly and Eckler splitting the load and then Kelly getting the short yardage and the, and the goal line work. I don't think we're going to see that going forward. And I think that you're going to see Eckler uh, out-touch uh, Kelly maybe by quite a bit because of his past game involvement mm-hmm. with Herbert dropping back and being willing to check down, which, which Terod Taylor obviously was 
was not doing that. Uh, you know, Eckler had 11 catches today, which is pretty remarkable. Yeah, before we move on from Herbert, I did see the interception. It's just like he didn't even know Dante Jackson was yeah. there. He almost threw a couple more. But again, he did have some awesome downfield throws as well. And it's almost the the rookie performances that we should expect from him, the highs and, and the lows. And hopefully the lows don't tank the game like they that they might have in this mm-hmm. one. And I mean, what we're kind of grasping onto here with Justin Herbert are are the main positives. And I think through two starts, especially one he wasn't prepared for, we've seen a lot of them. Okay, to the stat lines. 59 yards and 12 carries for Austin Eckler. 43 yards and eight carries for Joshua Kelly. Eckler did have a rushing score as well. Um, you mentioned it, 11 targets, 11 receptions, 84 yards for Austin Eckler. Keenan Allen, though, I mean, 19 targets, 13 receptions, 132 yards, and one score. You alluded to this, and we talked about it after last week. And it's, I mean, We're all hoping for Anthony Lynn to stick with Justin Herbert because he just elevates the ceiling of all of these mm-hmm. skill players, especially in the receiving game. Yeah, I mean, Keenan Allen is going to be a wide receiver one with with herbert uh you know in the saddle for the rest of the season if that's if that's the case and uh, you know reports say that uh he will get at least one more start and I, i'm i'm guessing more more than that uh but yeah keenan allen is his absolute number one read on almost every play uh and you know kind of reminds you a little bit of how rivers uh operated with with keenan allen uh, you know looking for him especially on on third downs you know as a kind of a, a safety valve um, it, along with Eckler, and it was really encouraging to see him take a couple shots to Allen in, in the end zone. And one of those, uh, you know, he came down with that late touchdown today against the Panthers. So, uh, I mean, if you you know got Allen at a at a discount in your draft, and you know, I know people were not super high on him, including myself, because the assumption was Taylor was going to lead this offense. Uh, it's it is a, a an entirely different ball game with Herbert uh, throwing it to him. I know I was expecting the Chargers to win this game, and that's why I started Joshua Kelly. Uh, he did have a lost fumble. In fact, the Chargers as a whole had three lost fumbles today. But it just seemed like the on the ground, Eckler and Kelly didn't do poorly. I mean, each averaged 4.9 yards or more on the ground. It was just the negative game script, and being down 18 to 7 at halftime just indicated that they couldn't run the football. Yeah, Kelly. Kelly's going to be uh... – an issue for fantasy managers when the chargers don't have positive game script. Yeah. You know, and, and that's not, you know, that's no secret. Uh, but I think that it was, he was kind of exposed today a little bit in that regard, because, you know, I think what he got, he got eight, eight carries and, uh, on his best carry of the day, uh, over 20 yards, it, he, he fumbled. And, uh, I think that that cost him some playing time as well as coaches, coaches will do, especially with rookie backs. So, uh, you know, if the Chargers come into the game as as favorites, I think you feel much more comfortable going with Kelly than you do if they go into the game as a as a heavy underdog. Unfortunately, that was today, and it just I, came back to bite us. Exactly right, <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's you know, we're, it, it was good. Hey, it's, it's, it was good process. Yeah, it, it's almost like this game isn't predictable, Denny. Imagine yeah, that. Speaking of, let's go on over to the Cleveland Browns getting their second win of the season, beating the Washington football team 34 to 20. It's a long way since week one already when, you know, some people were a little bit excited about Washington put on the field, especially their defensive line. Well, now they've lost two straight. Meanwhile, Cleveland, I know I got on top of them and others did too after week one, and now they've won two straight. Um, was this kind of a dominant performance as the the 
scoreboard would indicate. I mean, I see that Cleveland scored 17 points in the fourth quarter here. They established hard in the in the second half, uh, and I think Stefanski was determined uh, to just you know run it and run it and run it some more. Especially you know the Chase Young injury in the in the first half. As soon as Chase Young came off the field, and I believe they lost another another defensive lineman whose name escapes me right now. Uh, Washington did. As soon as that happened, uh, Cleveland started to run the ball much more effectively. They they were largely shut down before that point. And uh, as you know, game script moved further and further to you know toward the Browns' position. Uh, they they continued to run it, and and Chubb got a lot of opportunity in the second half. And then Hunt also got a lot of opportunity. It's clear that if if the if you believe the Browns are going to have neutral or positive script, both Hunt and Chubb are, you know, great plays. Obviously, Chubb is is always going to be viable, but don't you know don't be afraid of starting Kareem Hunt uh, if you know if you if you think that'll be the case. And I was thinking about this during the game. If it's negative script for Cleveland, then Hunt benefits probably even more as the as the main pass catcher out of that backfield 35 combined carries between the two nick chubb had 19 108 yards two scores cream hunt 16 carries 46 yards um but then cream hunt had a receiving score as well two catches 18 yards didn't seem like baker mayfield is very needed 16 to 23 156 two touchdowns Odell Beckham did get six targets. I mean, do we have that to hang on to? Four receptions, <laughs> 59 yards. It just seems like when this team is winning, I know he almost had that near touchdown last week, right? It was like a couple right. inches away from it. But the Kevin Stefanski, you know, dream is to go up early with this running game, maintain consistency and play action with this running game. Right. And I'm just a little nervous. And correct me if I'm wrong, and if you don't share this, a little nervous about the ceiling of Baker Mayfield to Odell and Jarvis and so on and so forth here. That is not part of the running game. Yeah. I think we have to accept that the way that this team wants to run its offense is not going to be great for the the pass catchers largely. Uh, Not even, you know, someone like Jarvis Landry, who is, we're used to seeing, you know, so much volume go his way. Uh, You know, today he caught four of four targets, uh, which is fine. I think he scored like eight PPR points, Uh, but if things are going well for the Browns, uh, you know, Beckham and Landry in particular have pretty scary floors, I think on a week, on a weekly basis. Uh, and Mayfield is like you said, not asked to do much at all. Once the team has a lead, um, it, it really does seem like they, they try to hide him a bit. Um, hmm. and, uh, you know, for, for better or worse, that's, that seems to be, the plan he he had one downfield shot to Beckham that was uh, woefully short today, and, and actually Beckham had to play uh, defensive back and batted away from the from the defender at the last second. That was as close as we got to a downfield shot for the Browns today. Yeah, he did the Mutombo like finger wag <laughs> as a defensive back out there. Yeah. Uh, okay. On Washington's side, Terry McLaurin had eight targets, only four receptions. 83 yards. Dontrell Edmond was the vulture along the goal line with two touchdowns to go with 38 yards and three receptions. I see Antonio Gibson, nine carries, 49 yards, and he got in the end zone as well, just three receptions for 11 yards. But I keep going to, and my attention is grabbed by Dwayne Haskins, maybe having his worst game since, you know, one of his first starts as a rookie, Mm -hmm. 21 of 37, 224, 
two touchdowns, three interceptions. Did it look that poor? They were bad interceptions. You know, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't just kind of getting unlucky. Uh, they were bad decisions. He was under pressure uh, quite a bit, uh, but he threw a lot of passes that he did not need to throw. Um, and he, he could have thrown it away. Honestly, he could have just taken sacks on, on some of those really poor throws. Uh, I worry about what this means for McLaurin going forward. You know, he, he's an explosive player. This is not saying anything about him as a receiver. He's, he's excellent. And honestly, on, on an elite offense, you know, we're talking about Terry McLaurin as a top five wide receiver in fantasy. Uh, in this offense, I just don't, I just don't know how that's going to happen, how, how he's going to emerge as, you know, a, a major fantasy asset. You know, he, he's going to give you some once in a while, but with Haskins back there, I just think he's just a, a, an anchor around, around McLaurin and, and Logan Thomas, who, again, got targeted pretty well at seven targets against a team that's been giving up a lot of uh, fantasy production to tight ends. And uh, it, nothing happened. It seemed like a double dose of bad where Dwayne Haskins was creating bad plays on his own, but then also Miles Garrett on the other side, just like wreaking havoc and getting into his lap and forcing fumbles and throwing into the ground and, and all that stuff. So like when both of those happen, because we know Washington has offensive line questions as well. Mm-hmm. And then when the quarterback doesn't play up to his caliber as well. Uh, I guess that this is the type of performance that you get out of it. A cap ceiling for all. Yes. That's- yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's a concern. I think it, even for Antonio Gibson, honestly, hmm. uh, just everybody in this offense, it's a, it's, it's a, it's going to be dicey week to week. It's only week three, but we had our first tie of the NFL season. Oh, the Philadelphia Eagles dropped to Oh, two and one. And so did the Cincinnati Bengals. Oh, two and one tying 23 to 23 in this game. Kyle Dvorak was forced to watch this one. Kyle, I look at Carson Wentz, 29 of 47, 225, one touchdown, two interceptions, three sacks, a boatload of bad throws. What is going on? Explain it to all of us. I mean, I don't know if I can to the extent that like I saw him make bad throws. There were some egregious ones. He missed Miles Sanders late in the game for what could have won them the game, I believe. It was Miles. It was awesome. It was a cool play. Miles Sanders lines up out wide and he gets a great mismatch against uh, like a linebacker, maybe at the end or something. Just beats him off the blocks and whiff. That was the game right there. It was a long touchdown to Sanders and he didn't hit it. He missed Deshaun Jackson early in the game on a, on a deeper throw. It was essentially his deep ball just didn't look there. And that's something I've actually like praised him for in the past that he can throw a really beautiful deep ball. It just wasn't there. And it didn't help that, man, uh, Jason Peters was just like a, a, a pair of saloon doors getting kicked Ooh. open and closed against Carl Lawson. It was bad. But even when, when he got time in the pocket, it didn't look great. It wasn't an absolute collapse. And he did a nice job running, which was something that, although like he's athletic, it was, I think it was a career running game for him. It was 65 yards and a touchdown, including a very nice run to get them the game tying touchdown and ultimately the, I believe the final score of the game because it tied. So there was some stuff there. It wasn't a complete collapse. It was just like, this is not what you want from a guy you believe to be the future of your franchise. It's what you want from like Mitchell Trubisky until the next quarterback shows up, which is not good. Could it be as simple? Because it's not like Carson Wentz has been beyond perfect, right? Like he basically won the MVP award before getting injured. But Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of inconsistencies in his game since, you know, he started his first season. Could this just be that luck 
is on the wrong side of it through three games so far, or does it go beyond that? Does it go beyond that with mechanics, with vision, not trusting his offensive line? Once again, Deshaun Jackson went down, so he had no wide receivers. Greg Ward was left on the field. It, is it is it more than just there's going to be positive regression happening? And really, it truly is time to start being concerned about Carson Wentz. Yeah, I think it's probably a, a bit of both. I think you're allowed to be concerned about Carson Wentz, but also say he has a very solid body of work. Like you said, an MVP caliber season under his belt until that injury. That body of work has to outweigh three games in which he has certainly not been good. Back to back to back games of double interceptions. Not great. But you said, I think you said it. And there are other reasons outside of his control that are concerning. But what do you want the guy to do? Like he's Greg Ward is who he has. That's what he's going to work with. And you can't blame him for that. They lost Dallas Goddard, Deshaun Jackson. Plus they came in, obviously reeling a receiver as well. What do you want him to do? There's nothing you can do about that. And the fact that he has bad receivers doesn't reflect poorly on him. The same with the offensive line. He can't help it that Carl Lawson was in his face for half the game. And we know that he has been a good quarterback in the past. So I think it's it's okay to be concerned, but still say, our, our prior on him is that he is a talented quarterback. The situation right now is as bad as it maybe ever could be. And I, and I say that now and something tragic will happen next week. So, you know, I knock on wood, that doesn't happen. But uh, yeah, things are bad around him right now and he's playing to that level. But if things get better around him or if he just regresses to the quarterback we've seen before in a positive way, which I think is fair to expect, I would say this is maybe the low point. I hope it's the low point hmm. and our prior on him says it is probably the low point, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I think so, though. I think it's the low point. Yeah, I, I talked with you after week one about Baker Mayfield, and then Baker Mayfield had his get-right game against the Bengals, and then Carson Wentz still didn't have his get-right game against the Bengals, which to me <laughs> is a little concerning. Before we move on to any other players, let's bring up this overtime sequence, okay? Because it seemed like Doug Peterson, who was also having an awful season, it seems yeah. like, yeah. wanted to play for a 59-yard field goal for Jake Elliott to line up for with 19 seconds to go. They line up for this field goal, then have a false start. And so on fourth down, and I believe it's like 7 or mm -hmm. 12 or something like that, instead of electing to go for it and try to pick up those yards and then kick a field goal to win the game, Doug Peterson punts with 19 seconds left to just give a tie and then obviously, Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow kneel the football down to, again, lock in a tie. What Had you ever seen a sequence like this in all your years of watching football? Yeah, we don't see a lot of overtime games, so I don't think – I almost a positive I have not. And I, I get that – like, so the field goal is fine. There's 19 seconds left, and I believe that wins it. I get that. I would say it was not the right choice. That is a crazy long field goal, and you give your opponent actual chances to score. Like, they were not that far off from the 50. So I think that is risk-averse, but uh, there's a lens through which it makes sense. I don't think it is truly horrible. I was actually just kind of surprised. I know it was like nine seconds left or whatever, but yeah, they just gave the Bengals on the other side, gave Joe Mixon one carry and ran the clock out to play for a tie. And I get it. Like there's the chances of them scoring from what was probably like their own, I don't know, five, 10 or something like that are minimal. But like you're the 0-2 Bengals. Who cares? Please give Joe Burrow, who is sick, athletic, has an arm, give him two throws. Please, God, give him two throws. And they wouldn't even do that. I would say on both sides of the ball. These teams, I don't know if they're just beaten in submission already or their coaching is just so incredibly risk averse. I'm not sure what it is exactly. I did the sequence was miserable on both sides. It was disappointing as a fan of football and as a person who wants to see teams try. Come on, try, please. Yeah, I mean, I guess. What you're saying is you understand it more from the Bengals side than Philly side. I understand it from 
I don't understand it from either side, to be perfectly honest with you. No, I was because, saying the other way around. I think okay. I think the, the Philly side is risk averse, but in a way that like, sure, a long field goal, I guess, makes sense. The Bengals literally just gave up. They just gave up. Yeah. I mean, with the Eagles next, they're at the 49ers, at the Steelers, and then versus the Ravens Yikes. in their next three oh games. Oh, my God. I mean, so 0-5-1 is absolutely a reasonable possibility. Okay. Let's look at Miles Sanders. Even with this weird neutral game script, positive, whatever, Miles Sanders is, again, this team's leading running back, 18 carries, 95 yards. But then you just look at the receivers, and I know we talked about the injuries. Greg Ward, 11 targets, 8 receptions, 72 yards, and a score. Zach Ertz, 10 targets, 7 receptions, 70 yards. Other than Miles Sanders right now, and most likely both of these tight ends, if healthy, it just doesn't seem like there is any reasonable fantasy player out there should be starting any pass catcher on this Eagles team or quarterback. I might add. Yeah. Yeah. Quarterback. When you look at the schedule coming up, how could you possibly feel good about start? Like I'm looking to get Justin Herbert. Joe Burrow has probably been scooped up in most leagues, but I'm looking to get Joe Burrow. I, I'm going for anybody other than Carson Wentz with this unreal schedule. How did he get so unlucky with the schedule coming up? You could, you could target Greg Ward. I don't, I don't think it's so egregious. I think he had 11 targets and he brought in a handful of them. It's not going to be pretty. Your touchdown upside isn't great. and He's not like some crazy athletic specimen or anything. It'd be fine. And there are a rash of injuries in, in the NFL right now. So maybe you have to. There are worse options. But honestly, like Andy Isabella popped off today. I'd rather have him. I'd be looking at guys like, you know, Corey Davis or K- KJ Hamler in that same vein. So eh, you could go for Greg Ward. Outside of that, yeah, man, I am fading anyone but the absolute studs on this team. All right, let's talk about the Bengals. Joe Burrow, 31 of 44 for two touchdowns. Didn't have his rushing upside like we've talked about in previous weeks. Joe Mixon, 17 carries. They got all the backfield work, but that just went only for 49 yards. Um, Let's talk about those two for now. I'm assuming because the stat line was better. He was sacked eight times, which I think Philadelphia's defensive line was just one of the biggest mismatches against an offensive line this week and the Bengals. But just from the stat line, did Joe Burrow outplay Carson Wentz? Yeah, I would say Joe Burrow definitely outplayed Carson Wentz. And I think the one thing it's so disappointing will never show up on the stat sheet was he has this sick rollout. He basically kind of loses his footing and spins out one of the, the defender that was pursuing him, throws it to T. Higgins, who catches it on like what was sort of I, I feel like we see it almost in college football a lot where these Heisman moments come on like these sick plays where quarterbacks just have a, an uncanny natural instinct to make plays. And that was fully apparent on this play. And then T Higgins ended up stepping out of bounds before he cut the ball and came back in and got penalized for it. But it was on display that Joe Burrow has this athleticism. It just didn't show up in the box score. And he certainly as a passer, like the stat line shows it. If you watch the tape, it showed it. He just played better. He was more accurate and he had a chance. He threw a deep ball to to T Higgins on their final, what we can consider their real final drive since they gave up on the last one. And T Higgins has it in his arm and the defender makes a good play and swats it away from him. But like, an elite receiver could come down with that pass. And we're talking about how Joe Burrow led this game winning drive. So I think Joe Burrow definitely outplayed him. And he's a guy, you know, just in terms of fantasy, he's averaging over 47 attempts per game. That is nuts. It's, it's crazy. It's largely on the back of the 60 plus in week two, but he went well over 40. He was close to 50 this week as well. So for me, Joe Burrow, his athleticism might not show up in the box score today, but it was certainly there if you watched it and he's just throwing an insane amount. Joe Mixon. I don't know. It's kind of, if they're going to be losing all the time and they want to pass a ton, he's really just the between the tackles player on a team that doesn't want to run between the tackles. Gio is out targeting him like five targets per game to three. It's it's not non-existent as a pass catcher, Joe Mixon, but Gio is still clearly the guy. And it's so funny because every offseason since Gio got this extension a few years ago, people are like, is this the year they cut Gio? 
it's never going to happen. They have a role for him. And despite this contract they gave Joe Mixon, they still like what Gio does. And Gio also had a really nice scamper. It was like a 30 or 40 yard scamper. If he's going to play that way, Joe Mixon is just like the, the between the tackles. He's like Chris Carson, essentially. Hmm. Yeah. Gio had 55 yards in the air. Compare that to Joe Mixon, 16 yards. And you talked about it, a 42 yard reception for Gio Bernard. Okay. Let's close with these other pass catchers. AJ Green, Six targets, five receptions, 36 yards. Didn't know he turned into Randall Cobb. Uh, also, T. Higgins, you mentioned it, two touchdowns. Pretty big day for the rookie on nine targets, 40 yards. But Tyler Boyd was a target monster. Why in this game? Why did he get 13 targets, 10 receptions, 125 yards when there have been other points? I know it's only been three weeks so far, but in the first two weeks, there were some points where he just didn't seem like he was part of the game plan. So I would say that one, it might just be because Tyler Boyd is the best receiver this team has right now. But two, there were a handful of plays where one, Darius Slay was probably often in coverage against AJ Green, and they had some safety help over the top. So Green, although like his fantasy outlook is quite grim, he still garnered some attention from the defense that is at least offers utility to an offense. And when he does that, it opens up the field for Tyler Boyd. So I would say it's probably on account of Green getting some extra attention from the defense, but th- the best players still get attention from like DeAndre Hopkins doesn't care how many defenders are on him. He's going to score fantasy points. AJ green is clearly just not that anymore. He's a guy that sure, if he gets open, he can make plays, but otherwise like defenses aren't going to have problems taking him away. I'm not sure I'm sold on Tyler Boyd being this target fiend because like you said, he was kind of quiet through two weeks. I think it's going to be every other week. We see a different guy. Tyler Boyd would be my leading choice right now, but T Higgins with John Ross, a surprise inactive. Like I, I, Hmm. I, I get it. I guess if he's not going to, I know he struggled with drops through two weeks. He has like, two or three catches on seven targets. It's just disappointing to see a guy with such incredible speed and playmaking ability to be inactive. But if he's going to be inactive, T Higgins is absolutely the number three. And at this point in his career, he's probably got more juice, more athleticism, more playmaking ability than AJ green. Honestly, we saw that on full display this week with the two touchdowns. So green, I'm not really looking forward to green going forward. I think they do play Jacksonville next week. So maybe that's a bounce back spot, but honestly, like for green, what is a bounce back even look like just finds the end zone at this point. I don't know if he's the number one receiver, I'm not even sold that he's the number two. So not excited about him. Tyler Boyd maybe disappears every now and then, but still the number one receiver. And man, wheels up for T Higgins. It wasn't a perfect game. It was a handful, like like I said, that one where he steps out of bounds and then he dropped the one. But overall, if you're going to score two touchdowns in your third NFL game, I'm excited. Ladies and gentlemen, hate to say it, Falcons did it again. They blew a massive lead this time in the fourth quarter to the Chicago Bears, losing 30-26, to dropping the Falcons to 0-3, and that means the Bears are 3-0. I mean, this game had so many twists and turns. First, Falcons were up with seven minutes to go on the clock, 26-10, and Chicago was able to come back. And mainly, mainly because of their decision, with about 10 minutes left in the third quarter to switch over, Take out Mitchell Trubisky and put in Nick Foles. Trubisky, last time I checked, was one for five or one for six on third downs in the first half through an awful interception. And Matt Nagy then came out after the game and said it was a gut feeling that he wanted to put Nick Foles in. And then Nick Foles goes 16 of 29, 188, three touchdowns and an interception. Now, I'm not going to say that Foles was perfect. He kind of got a lot of Nick Foles luck that we've seen him get in the past, you know, multiple interceptions that went straight through defenders hands. And then those ultimately resulted in drives and points. But what he did was he looked comfortable. He showed vision. He showed patience. 
Meanwhile, Trubisky just could not handle this Atlanta Falcons defense, a defense that, you know, was injury riddled and has been all season long. He just looked confused and Foles instead looked composed. And that, and that was really the difference. And Allen Robinson was a difference too. 13 targets, 10 receptions, 123 yards and a touchdown, including a long score, 37 yards. Jimmy Graham got involved with two touchdowns and 60 yards. Anthony Miller, after, you know, not playing that often this season, saw five targets, two receptions, 41 yards, and a score. I mean, this negative game script made it seem like the Bears needed to abandon what they were doing and use more three wide receiver sets or just use more pieces, and that's why Anthony Miller and Jimmy Graham seemed to get more involved. Tariq Cohen left with what's believed to be an ACL injury. That led to Dave Montgomery, 14 carries, 45 yards. They're nine in the air. I mean, look, it's not like someone was spectacular other than Allen Robinson. It's just this Falcons team is just not talented at the moment. Now, Matt Ryan is obviously talented, and he was solid in that first half. 19 of 38, 238, one touchdown and one interception. But then he went almost the entire fourth quarter until one minute and 50 seconds left on the clock. He did not complete a pass. Yes, for what, 13 minutes in the final quarter of this game, he did not complete a pass. It's so wild because he opened it with a ludicrous 63-yard throw to Calvin Ridley that was a step or two away from scoring a touchdown. I mean, Calvin Ridley without Julio Jones, then Russell Gage left with what's believed to be a concussion fairly early on in this game. Calvin Ridley stepped up in a massive way, but the efficiency just wasn't there. Matt Ryan overthrows, inaccuracies, 13 targets, 5 receptions, and 110 yards for Ridley. In his place, I mean, you had Olamide Zacchaeus, you had Powell. No one really is there to take that second pass-catching role when Julio and Russell Gage are out because Hayden Hurst, one catch, one yard, one touchdown. Todd Gurley's stat line looks good at 14 carries, 80 yards, and a score. But again, he kind of showed that same one-speed running. Didn't really make anyone miss. And Brian Hill, on the opposite, did on his 35-yard touchdown run, which totaled nine carries, 58 yards, and a touchdown on the day. You know, this Falcons team, something has to change, right? Something has to change, and it might be Dan Quinn who gets up to these big leads in the last two games. And, you know, you are known for your defense. They've spent a lot of draft capital defensively over the years, and it's just not happening. It's simply not happening. And on the other side, I mean, we can say, like, look, the Bears have beaten the Lions when they were down, the Giants, the Falcons. So maybe they're a lucky 3-0 team. Sure, you can say that, but they're 3-0, first of all. And they get two good tests coming up in the Colts and the Buccaneers. And we'll close out this episode with the Tennessee Titans beating the Minnesota Vikings 31-30. The Titans are 3-0, despite having a plus six point differential in three wins. Again, I'll say that. The Titans, 3-0 by outscoring their opponents by six points through those three games. I've only said negative things about the Vikings this year, so let's start with them because there were a lot of positives. Dalvin Cook got going 22 carries, 181 yards, and a score on the ground, including a weaving, dicing 39-yard score. Adam Thielen caught a touchdown pass to go with 29 yards. Kyle Rudolph had a spectacular toe-tapping end zone grab. But this was Justin Jefferson's coming out party. Jefferson was the first-round rookie, the pick 
that they got from the Stephon Diggs trade from the Buffalo Bills. He saw nine targets, seven receptions, 175 yards, and a score. We know Jefferson at LSU was mainly a slot receiver, about 90-something percent of his time spent there. He did spend a couple snaps in the slot today, but mostly it was an outside receiver. And he was winning at all levels, short, separation intermediate, and downfield vertical routes where he was winning contested as well. You know, this team has craved a downfield playmaker for the first few weeks of the NFL season, and Justin Jefferson might be that moving forward. We will definitely be talking about him on the waiver podcast with Daigle later on this week. I mean, I say all those positive things, but then how did the Vikings lose it, right? How did they lose it? Well, they had a two-minute chance to answer the Titans drive for a game-winning field goal and a missed snap lost them 14 yards then an incompletion on third and a boatload of yards and then a fourth down prayer they just didn't get it done I mean one missed snap on that final drive that two-minute drill led them to losing this game because they were going toe-to-toe punch for punch with the Titans all game long on the opposite end it wasn't Brian Tannehill's finest day 321 yards one interception on 37 attempts. He had two beautiful, beautiful downfield throws to Khalif Raymond, who was the team's leading receiver. Three targets, three receptions, 118 yards. That was that vertical connection for the Titans today. Corey Davis, consistent, 6, 5, 69 yards. And Johnny Smith was getting involved in the middle of the field with 61 yards himself. Derrick Henry scored his first two touchdowns this season, 26 carries, 119 yards, and again, those two scores. But the MVP, I mean, which is crazy thinking after how many missed kicks he had in week one, it was Steven Goskowski. Went six for six, including that game-winning 55-yard touchdown score. I mean, this just outlines this Vikings defense being just as big of a question as the offense is. And the Titans, like, this is how they want to win games, right? I mean, I know they had to come back and win in negative game script, but they're fine winning close games. They are. Now, they were without A.J. Brown. Taylor Lewan left at one point during the game. But the 3-0 Titans are continuing just where they left off in last year's regular season and now face the Steelers and the Bills in the next two games, which are very, very difficult tests. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Again, we'll be back on Tuesday and then two more podcasts later in the week, Thursday and Friday mornings. If you enjoyed this, if you're this far, take a little bit more time, leave us a writing review. It helps us out tremendously. Up the villa. We'll talk to you all soon.